Dotnet Rocks, episode 1073, with guest Liam Westley. Recorded Wednesday, December 3rd, 2014. And we're back. It's Carl Franklin. Richard Campbell. And it's Dotnet Rocks time again uh, from the fishbowl in NDC London. We're at the Excel. Uh, Way over in the Docklands. The Excel Stadium or the Excel Conference Conference Center. But we're in Docklands. We're way on the east side of London. Right. It's big here. And apparently they're shooting a movie here. Yeah. The Mission Impossible 47. I don't know. (laughs) All I know is Tom Tom Hanks. No. Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Tom Hanks. One of those Toms is hanging around here somewhere and there's all these big guards. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, making sure he's safe. I came in in the morning, and all these police are looking over the balcony and stuff. I'm like, was there an incident? You know? <laughs> <laughs> nope, Tom Cruise. Nope, just Tom Cruise. There you go. All right, well, let's get started and roll the stupid music, and we'll get going. All right. Better know a framework. <laughs> all right, buddy, what do you got? Have you ever heard of Fody? Fody. F-O-D-Y. No. What's a Fody? Theater Fody? Yeah, I hadn't either. GitHub.com slash Fody slash Fody. Okay. Yeah. And so what this is, is it's an extensible tool for weaving .NET assemblies. Weaving. Weaving, as in stitching things into the assembly after they've already been compiled. Oh. All right. So here's the introduction. I'm going to read right off the page here. Manipulating the IL of an assembly as part of a build requires a significant amount of plumbing code. This plumbing code involves knowledge of both MS Build and Visual Studio APIs. Fody attempts to eliminate that plumbing code through an extensible add-in model. And there's a NuGet package for it and everything. Okay. And then the question, why? This technique of weaving in new instructions is fantastically powerful. You can turn simple public properties into full iNotify property changed implementations. Mm-hmm. Hello? And check for null arguments, add git hashes to your assemblies, even make all your string comparisons case insensitive. So it's kind of like, you know, the, the aspect oriented thing. That's what I was thinking, yeah. On steroids, and it happens after you've compiled. You know, the other thing that does the after compile stuff are the preemptive guys. Preemptive guys, right? Yeah, they used to do, you know, you didn't have to even recompile your assembly. You just ran it through their thing and it would, they called it interleave. Right. Right, as opposed yeah, yeah. to weave, but weave. it sounds like very much the same thing. But it, I, how cool is that? I mean, we were we've always been talking about the Uber I notify property change implementation yes. that does requires the least amount of code. How about no code? No, just well, yeah, maybe an attribute or something. Yeah, it's just you define it and it, in, and it weaves it in, weaves it in. I love it. Pretty cool. So know it, learn it, love it. That's Fody. GitHub.com slash Fody slash Fody, F-O-D-Y. How much trouble could you get in with that, I, really? I, I can't imagine. I, I want to hear some crash and burn stories, folks. <laughs> Send it's <us> your <laughs> foot. It's your foot. Go for it. Uh, mm. Richard, who's talking to us? Grabbed a comment off of show 980, the one we did with John Sonnez. We were talking about working on your personal brand. And, and, I, and I brought this up just because we're going to be talking about running your own uh, software business. Mm-hmm. And I think a big piece of that is that sort of branding marketing story. You know, I think we spend a lot of time just focused on delivering software and not on the other aspects of business. Right. And this comment comes from Frederick Meyer, who says, this was a great topic. I'm amazed at the resources available to people now to, quote, build their brand. GitHub, YouTube, blogging, Twitter, and so on. The podcast made me reflect back to when I started out in the mid-90s and how people did that back then. We wrote in magazines. Yeah, that's right. That's what people read magazines. Type it out of a magazine. <laughs> uh, times have definitely changed for the better. I think the resources out there now are so plentiful that it will become a requirement for really in-demand positions. Imagine just not even trying to apply for a job until you have a certain level of visibility, right? That's part of the process. Uh, your point about people managing their social presence is so vital, and I think a lot of people underestimate how important it is. For right or wrong, I can recall rejecting several resumes just on the outcome of looking at their public social media content. Oh, boy, here we go. (laughs) It might be hard to see when you're 19-year-olds in school that that stuff might become, quote, part of your permanent record. Yeah. This is a conversation we had at Strange Loop years ago where I sort of said, look, if we're going to hire a 20-something, 
we sort of have to live with the fact that they have pictures of themselves throwing up on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, you sort of do. Or you just don't get to hire them. There isn't any. And, you know, it also speaks to a certain amount of humanness, you know, about yes, the person. That people and have a range of behavior. Yeah, that's right. People have a range of behavior. And yeah. at the end of the day, it comes down to, are they breaking laws? Yeah. You know, are they doing harmful things to themselves or others? Are we just seeing their humanity? Or are they just are having fun? Now I have a, I'm, I'm amused by someone so foolish as to call in sick for work and then post photos of themselves <laughs> skiing, right? <laughs> like, okay, that's just, you know, <laughs> that's just two, dumb. two minutes in the corner for being dumb. But I, I'm also wondering now is Facebook and the social media stuff continues to evolve. I'm finding with my daughters, yeah. they post a lot less stuff to Facebook these days. Yeah. Like that, that is evolving too. I, so I think kids are falling off of Facebook. Too. Yeah. They're going towards Instagram and other ways other to, to ways express to, themselves. Yeah. So I think that's part of it. Maybe we just hit a window there. Uh, let me finish uh, Frederick's comment. Uh, this episode was very timely for me since it has been a topic I've been pondering for a while and I sadly regretted I hadn't paid attention to it for the past few years. I spent a lot of time thinking about time management with the usual balancing problem between job and family and so forth and how to be authentic about it. A word I was glad to see used in the discussion, which Mm -hmm. is you can't just do social media stuff because you're, quote, doing social media. It's like, who are you actually? Right. Uh, And I think going to be very applicable to the show we do uh, right now. Frederick, thanks so so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you, and if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NETrocks.com or on any of our mobile apps, because we've got them for Android, Windows Phone 7 and 8, iOS, and Windows 8. And that brings us to our guest today, Liam Wesley. And Liam, I'm going to read your complete bio. I was going to edit it, <laughs> but there's so much cool stuff in here, that, and I think it might actually uh, get us into the topic today. Liam Wesley is an application architect at Huddle, where he works with some of the best .NET developers and UX designers to deliver world-class collaboration software. He quite likes working just off Old Street, as there is some fantastic food and coffee to be had within a few minutes' walk. Previous to Huddle, Liam worked at Criteria MX, a digital media startup, and has worked as a consultant via his own company, Tiger Computer Services Ltd., specializing in software for broadcast television. His Niagara SMS moderation system was used by QVC UK for eight years to display SMS messages from viewers live on screen. Liam is also responsible for the ticketing system for Hat Trick Productions, which provides e-tickets to shows such as Have I Got News For You. Liam has worked for Cello Media, GMTV, B-Sky B, Smashed Atom, and Original Thinking Group. In his time, he created the first in-house weather system for Sky News using Visual Basic 1.0. Oh, my Lord. (laughs) (laughs) That's pre-internet. That's like pre-everything. That's 1991. He also acted as an architect for two general election systems. Project managed the launch of the GMTV website, was key to delivering the first interactive television chat service in the UK for B-Sky-B, and helped launch the first live shopping channel in the Netherlands. Dude, <laughs> when did you sleep? Uh, that was interesting, yeah. Um, I had this weird career where I joined, I'd worked at the BBC as an intern, effectively at my degree, uh, worked on an election there, got employed by an independent company at Sky. They also did GMTV, the breakfast TV channel. Yeah. And then uh, when I left them, I started my own company. And I worked mornings at Sky for four hours in the morning, caught a train at lunchtime, went to GMTV in the afternoon, and there I was a network manager managing the Novell servers, while in the morning I was a programmer writing in VB3. So I worked at two companies every day for about four years. Wow. Wow. How do you get those gigs? I mean, you know, most people don't want you to work out. The interesting one is once you've... The gig I got on the BBC, which is where it all came from, was I was on my first uh, internship. You, we did a four-year degree. And we yep. did six months at college and then six months intern, six months at college for the first three years. And in my first internship at a company that makes metal cans called Metalbox. Hmm. Um, what yeah, a strange name. What a strange name, yeah. yes. <laughs> um, they're the guys who made your Coke can go small at the top. Ah, Remember when yeah, Coke cans sure. were straight and they, they straight. went in at the top? Right. And when they went in at the top, they saved a tenth of a cent per lid on aluminium <laughs> or aluminium. 
Yeah. And that's why they had a patent for it. And that's why they were a big company because everyone wanted it because a tenth of a cent on every lid for a Coca-Cola is a lot of money. Yeah. When you're solving volume problems like that, there's just no end to what you can do. And, and so I looked at a magazine and they were advertising jobs at the BBC. And I just said, I want to be a work, do a work placement. And they said, we won't take you next year for your next internship. We'll take you in your final year. So I had to wait two years and I had an interview with the head of HR at the BBC uh, of the broadcast side. And I think this was 1988. And I had to show him, I had to discuss what a mouse was. Wow. (laughs) And discuss how there was this ball (laughs) in the bottom of it. And you moved it around and it moved something around on the screen. That was a new technology. (laughs) Yes. And he didn't know what it was. So I had to explain that in layman terms. Did you have to describe the process for washing mouse balls? (laughs) No. (laughs) We hadn't really got to the bit where you had to scrape the crud off the silver bars on the bottom. But, um, and then once you're in the magic of television is once you're in the TV industry, you're in the TV industry. Right. right. And people know who you are. It's small. And it's like filming. I assume Hollywood's going to be the same. Once you're known and everyone knows you can do something, yeah. you'll get rung up and given work. And that's You'll get happens. punished for it. It's yes. kind of that way in software development, too. Yes. So that's one of the ways um, when I went and started my own company and started doing my own thing, I went to user groups. I went to create that network of contacts right. and replicated what I'd done in TV. Effectively. Yeah. So that's how I got the jobs in TV, and I worked happily in TV for quite a long time. Wow. It's fantastic. And, and the, the in-house weather system, VV1, what kind of technology were you using back then? Well, you had a graphics card in the, uh, in the PC that yep. could do broadcast computer graphics. It could do one TGA file that was the size of a TV screen. That's what it could hold in its memory that you could blit <laughs> onto the screen. TGA files, uh, Targa, a right? Targa that's file. A, that's so a, it's a full it's a raster bitmap. Full file. 32-bit bitmap. Yeah. So it's got alpha channels so that you can have see-through bits. Right. And uh, that was sat in the PC. That was about six, seven thousand pounds, ten thousand dollars worth of graphics hardware in wow. a two thousand pound PC. And you programmed it in VB1, and it drove. Corel Draw 3.0 by Macros. Whoa. So they did the Corel Wait, DDE? Draw... No, We're using actually Macros. Windows macros. 3.1, you could send a keystroke. And if you sent a keystroke, there was a macro oh. recorder that ran in the background and could make the mouse move. Send keys. Wow. Yes. In so we send keys into Corel Draw to manipulate the map of the United Kingdom and put they'd drop weather symbols on it. And then we'd export it as an EPS file, which was an encapsulated postscript file which we would send down a serial port to the box to render. All right, this is so Rube Goldberg. I love it. <laughs> they, you know, you've got to get a fax in there somewhere, and then it would be really Well, that, that's the whole thing. Trappy. Where did your weather data come from? Ah, the weather data came from the Met Office. So they had um, meteorologists who would get the fax. They had it faxed to them. Yes, they I had faxes. Knew it. No, you're right. Knew it. They had faxes, and because... The weathermen were not trusted uh, <laughs> or weren't given the best place at Sky News. They were in a room with no windows, so they couldn't actually look out the window <laughs> to see what the weather the was. Window. It's like, and, dude, did you look out the and window? And we didn't yet have a ban on smoking in the office. Oh. And the two guys who were in the chain smoked. And uh, the monitors were coated in ash. Uh, Every time you went in, you had to wipe a monitor down. Nice. It was horrendous. But we got on air with it. We had full-color weather maps with little rain symbols and cloud symbols and big areas of yellow for where it was hot and big areas of blue for where it was cold. So you're talking about starting a business. Is it mostly like, you know, uh, based on your experience? Because, you know, the experiences back then were and opportunities were a lot different than they are today. Yeah. What, what you, usually, how do you approach that topic? I was approaching it on the... the the title of the talk is writing the software is easy not going bust is the hard bit right because um i i was putting it that three ways to lose money start a restaurant half of them go out of business within a year yeah uh own a football team or soccer team that's a good way of losing money um (laughs) and the other one is to try and write software because you're doing an intangible item that you hope will be worth something and you don't really know till the end and part of the process is not just the technical bit it's all the admin that goes with writing software. Oh, yeah. It's being careful, planning, 
estimates, trying to eliminate support calls. So uh, this is a talk which it will go online. They've videoed it, so hopefully it will be in nice quality um, mm -hmm. on the NDC website, on via Vimeo, I think they put it on. And uh, repeatedly during the talk, I have a phone ring. And it's an old-fashioned rotary dial phone oh, no that kidding. I have to pick up yeah. and answer a support call. And the <laughs> thing that kills most small startups, if they actually get their software out to clients, is support. Right. Because uh, if your program's buggy, you get lots of calls. Yeah. yeah. And if your program is getting interrupted and they're not developing anymore, they're just yeah. answering support calls, trying to debug it, oh, yeah. trying to work out how it works. And I lived that. I first gave the talk four and a half years ago. And at that point, I the first thing I said was, one, try and eliminate support calls. Because if the phone rings, you bleed cash. Yeah. Because you just lose money it's on money it. It's money every time. And, and you lose reputation. You Clients don't like it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Your customers hate having to ring you with problems. Sure. And, yes. um, so you can't eliminate support calls by not answering the phone. That's no. not actually no, that's not, that's not what. That's <laughs> not my strategy. You do have to have a phone or an email or a Twitter right. that they're going to get hold of you on. Right. Um, so the next step is really get the testing done. Yeah. Test and test and test. If you said that four and a half years ago, you could ask people to put their hands up who did unit testing and right. TDD and you'd get 20% of the audience. The lovely thing today is you do it today and everyone's testing. Absolutely yeah. everyone. So the image I've got is um, if you've ever been to an Ikea or Ikea yeah. sure. and you've seen the machine that keeps sitting on the chair or the machine that keeps pulling a drawer out. Have you right. seen these things? No. They actually have an automated machine with bits of wood on that pushes a chair down as if someone's just sat on it. Right. Oh, and, really? it and they run it for 10,000 times on the chair to make sure it can stand all the right. weight. No or just pulls a drawer yeah. and pushes it back. Or just pulls a drawer in, in and pushes it back. Yeah. And they do that 20,000 times with the machine to make sure the drawer can be opened and closed huh. 20,000 times. Huh. And effectively, what they've got is an acceptance test. Yeah, sure. right. And they can change the material, they can change the lamination of the wood and the glue, and then they can put it on that machine and test it and test it and see if it works. Right. And so that's what we now do with software, thank so God. So step one in avoiding tech support calls is don't write bugs. Don't write bugs. You know, Doug Crockford was a genius. Wasn't <laughs> <it>? <laughs> don't write bugs. Don't write bugs. It is, it's the first step. Yeah. And code defensively. Yeah. Which yeah. you do. And then the next one is if you're going to have a bug, you better have good logging. Right. Something's going to have to record it, what happened at the yeah. point it did. Uh, Find sure. and fix it quickly. Yeah. I remember in... Do you ever remember a, co a product called Numega? Oh, yeah. And they used to be able to wrap a VB app. It yep. went through your VB app and put in error handling with a dialogue that had email me the error. Yeah. Nice. It would email the error off an error dialogue back to the developer. I think I know the, the guy developer. who wrote that. Back when that was a fancy feature. Yeah. Is that and, Hank Marquis? Uh, was that I don't know. It, it was a a multi-thousand dollar product yeah. to get that. However, you could save a fortune mm. by having that. You could solve people's problems so easily. Mm -hmm. So um, I've also used ones that send you a tweet or send you an email. Right. And to the extent that Hattrick sticking system, part of it was Windows services at their offices and part of it was MySQL PHP on the public website. And it synced all the data from the office into the PHP and back again in a nasty process really because syncing is always nasty so it's sure. always prone to failure yeah. and uh, so I get an email saying My, your MySQL can't access it so I get an email, I ring up the guy he doesn't even know he's got a fault yet That's great. tell him he's got a fault, needs to have a look at it, goes into all the settings his ISP has suddenly dropped the DNS lookup so that's why it can't get to the, SQL, uh, the MySQL server on the wow. public site. The point about that is what you've done is not had a problem in your software that would have backed up sure. so you get a call out of hours yeah. The guy looks like a genius to anyone at the company because yeah. he's just fixed the problem they didn't even know they had, so right. they never started badgering him about it. Right. And everyone's happy. Yeah, yeah. I've had this conversation a bunch of times, especially recently, you know, DevOps being so cool and so forth. It's like if somebody can make a tech support call to you and you're surprised it's coming in, you've already failed. Yeah. You should be answering the phone saying, yes, we know we're on it. Yes. Or better still, you're calling them. Because it's like, yeah. we're about to push a fix for a problem you haven't quite noticed yet. Yes. But it's coming. And that's right. it. Because if you get this early, you won't corrupt your data. Right. So you've got, that's the worst case. You're starting to corrupt your database because you've got Duff data going in there and there's errors happening. Right. So you really don't want that. You don't want things like a load of ticket requests going out from the website and it allowing 5,000 people to book for a show that can only take 200 yes. right. audience members. Right, right. So, um, so that's one of the, that, that's where I lead on to log it, get it in there and 
preemptive, preemptive right. support, yeah. which is great. We, we, we roll out a new version of the app and then we study the logs. Yeah. I mean, today you don't have to do that. Today we have real time instrumentation. Yeah. So that you're actually looking at production data all the time. But in those, in those days, you, you went to the logs because the logs would tell you you were failing yeah. long before you failed. And we've got, um, Huddle uses New Relic. So we can actually work mm -hmm. out where we can have triggers. We can have alerts coming through if we're the sites under heavy load. So we understand which bits are working and which bits are having a problem. And then we can go in and uh, look at it. So uh, things like that are invaluable because especially when you're doing software as a service. So the last thing you need is um, Driscoll's overnight because Driscoll's users in the US. Right. Um, and that's a big client who will be using it outside of UK hours. So the last thing you need to do is find out only overnight that the system was going wrong for a big, a big you know, uh, partner in the US. For sure. Yeah. So what's next? What's the second or third uh, so line of defense against? I think uh, we did logging. So then the next one was... Um, and this is where you start getting a relationship with the customer. Right. So time and estimation, time is a nightmare. Mm -hmm. It's got better with Scrum, with story points and velocities and everyone. Yeah, these are really practices to keep your customer engaged. Yes. And this, and, and to, so I deal with time and es estimation of time and costs. Right. Uh, I make a joke that everyone has this who's a developer. They will have talked to a product manager or a sales guy mm -hmm. or a customer who says, Brings you into a meeting, goes, I need function X, Y, and Z. It's going to be using this feature that you never knew we had in the business. Right. And by the way, at the end of this 20-minute meeting, I'm going to ask you how long it's going to take. Yes. And when you can deliver it and how much it's yep. going to cost. Which is always a nightmare scenario. And you can never really stop it. It's really tough to stop no. that. Um, and the tendency for developers to underestimate. They just do. Because yep. it's a natural inclination that uh, I am the alpha programmer and I can code wonderfully and i can't see any problem with this and we tend to focus on the bits we understand yes and ignore the bits we don't exactly and so and everything we understand is easy so it takes no time at all no and um and the interesting bit is i come up with this this silly rule and i call it the pi rule which is whatever time or cost you first think of you multiply it by pi okay <laughs> uh, if you do that multiply it by 3.14 right. you're pretty sorted um, <laughs> there's always an exception to the rule. Clearly, if you have a really horrible client who changes specs, it's pi squared. <laughs> it's really simple. Just times it by 3.14 again. Yeah. You get 10 times the cost. Yeah. They're going to be that kind of person who changes specs, wants everything written down, then immediately changes their mind a week later, pulls you into meetings. They're tough clients to have. Yeah. Uh, and well, really we, and I, I hope in the course of this hour, we're going to talk about firing bad clients too, because well, that was that was the interest. One of the comments I make is, this is an interesting problem you have when you're dealing with external customers. The really weird one is when a company believes it has clients when they're internal to the company. Right. And the problem with clients internal to companies, you, you can't, can't fire, fire them. them. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. that's the horrible place to be. So yeah. it's actually easier to be an independent software provider well, who has external clients if you have the freedom, of course. Sure. To not take the business. Right. Which yeah. is not always a freedom you have either. Well, especially when you have a staff and you're trying yeah. to keep everybody employed, right? Those are families you're yeah. trying to feed. And you, and you sort of weigh this cost of... Yeah. The problem is it's also a trap. A bad customer eats more time for less money. It's like, yes. is this actually costing us money compared to just leaving you on the bench? Yeah. Cash up front. Yeah. <laughs> you? 50% up front. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing on that, once I, I obviously did a bad estimate at Cello Media, yep. was doing the EPG service for their analog cable TV in Austria. Mm -hmm. And it was a fixed price that I'd agreed, and they overran by about four weeks. In four weeks, about $400 a day. Right. And that's, that's a pricey overrun for me to take a hit on. And I sure. just carried on working and said, well, I'm not invoicing because I finished it, but it needs finishing. There's a load of work to do. I'll carry on doing it. Right. Yep. I've worked that extra month, and you won't get an invoice. Um. That is why they came back a year and a half later and got me to manage a team to launch a live shopping channel and hmm. write the entire scheduling software and on their graphics and yeah. get the testers in and deploy all the servers and work out how the architecture should work. And they did that because they had that trust. So this is one of the elements to building a business. At some point, Don't you have sense. to do the loss leader. And the loss leader was that, or you want more, you have to 
be committed. You have to actually yeah. show them the quality. I don't want to. You won't a, let them have a bad quality right. product. I think it's sure. more of a statement of character. Yeah. I mean, my goal here was to deliver good stuff to you, and if that means it costs me more than planned, right. I'm still going to do it. Yes, absolutely. But in, you know, there is a point where you know you're starved to death too. Yes. Right. Like there's yes. a line with, with, of what is reasonable sure. and why we've overrun. But I do firmly believe in it's that like you learn about character at the point of adversity. Yes. When things are going well, it's easy to be a good person, quote unquote. But it's that when things aren't going well. Mm-hmm. It has to be said that one of the reasons that EPG overran is I went and decided to make something multi-threaded. <laughs> <laughs> you did it I to yourself. Just- that's the mistake. Yes. I, I now do talk talks about async and await and multi-threading right. and point out the danger of multi-threading. Yes. And how I've not met many people who didn't burn themselves horribly the first time they tried yeah. it. If you first say time, create thread, time, you're time. already in hell. Uh, this is .NET 2 not... World, and it's a thread pool. There's nothing protecting you, know, you like the TPL. It's not necessarily true that if you just create a thread, you're already in hell. If your task is so simple and it has a beginning and it has an end, you can spin off a thread and not worry yeah. about it. But if it's going to sit in a loop and you know do some yeah. stuff and act on some data that's outside the thread, right. blah, blah, blah. And you want to interact with some things. Oh, yeah. and, and you don't know how many of these are ultimately spawned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I'll, I'll buy into a foreground thread and a background thread. But when it's like N threads, then I'm like, dude. It's I, synchronizing. There's like problem. three guys I know who can write that code, and you're not one of them. And I'll admit that. I'm not one of them either. <laughs> so I do this talk where, where I had done out about async and I talked about the developer spinning up threads. Right. As you would. And I said, imagine that someone comes to your door. You've got friends coming around and the first guy turns up uh, and knocks on the door and you come in and go, oh, would you like something to drink? And they go, yeah, I'd like a cup of tea. And so you go in and you put the kettle on because we have kettles in England more yeah, yeah. than yep. I think the US really have. Oh, I have a kettle. But put a kettle on. And then the second guy comes in and you know, oh, right, do you want to drink? I'll have a coffee. And you get another kettle and put that kettle on. <laughs> and I have three kettles in this talk and I put yeah. another kettle on for the third person. <laughs> At which point you've blown the fuses in your house. Right. right? Because normally if you put three kettles on, yeah. on your, even on your kitchen, you don't have enough power it'll that. blow the fuse because, and clearly what you should do is boil one kettle. And what you're saying is the first person gets it slower, the second person gets it about the same time, third person probably gets it earlier, and you've used less power and less energy, and it's much more simple. Mm-hmm. And that's my don't grab the thread all the time. Yeah. Really think about threading. Yes. Absolutely. So, think about not threading, actually. So you want to think about. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've, had to, I've discussed threading in the past where a service, Windows service, was going to be multi threaded. And developers go, we'll make it multi-threaded and it can process MP3 files simultaneously and it can do Sony's content and EMI's content and Warner all in one service. Yeah. And I said, you know how to multi-thread this? And he goes, you have three services. One does Sony, one does EMI, <laughs> right. one does Warner. They're all single threads in yes. that service. And you now have three threads doing it. And, it, and Windows manages it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the operating system are remarkably good at managing threads. Yes. One of the gotchas that I overcame was uh, in message processing. You know, So if you're going to have a, a, a server that's accepting connections and wants to manage those connections, you know, the idea I used to have was, oh, okay, well, each one of those connections goes off on its own thread and processes the request. Turns out that's not at all efficient uh, and doesn't scale at all. And uh, Ken Alstad told me this. One of the three guys I know that yeah. can really do multi-threaded code. <laughs> yeah. He told me that it was much more efficient to process that in a tight loop and, you know, just have one loop and then at the top of the loop to check for a new connection and then you process it and then you go to the next and handle that way you're handling them in series. Yeah. You know, and uh, the time it takes for that loop is short, so it can really hum. And, and I actually put it to the test. And it was orders of magnitude difference. Yeah. It's premature optimization. It's a real problem. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's one of those things where when you get it right, the difference is dramatic. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's why I did. I was because I uh, did a tech review for A-Press's asynchronous professional async mm-hmm. C sharp mm-hmm. uh, by a couple of British authors. And reading that, the shock on that was this thing called the Dataflow Library. Yeah. And the data flow library is the way to do really quick multi-threading safely because someone else wrote it and thought about it right. all. <laughs> yeah, smart, smart If you've people. got CPU-intensive operations, 
Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. You know what time it is? Yeah, it must be that happy time again. Yep. Time to go to faxmeasoftwarejoke.com. <laughs> Place an order. Wait for about an hour to receive it. <laughs> then enjoy a nice game of waste basketball. Nice. Well, first got to find a fax machine. <laughs> Who has one? Oh, it's, you know, we were talking about fax machines. I know. It's a callback, son. I, I got the callback. Is. It's just the fun part is, yeah, yeah. somebody faxes you a, 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 a joke, so where are you going to receive it? Faxmeasoftwarejoke.com. Love it. I should uh, actually reserve that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I create, uh, I, I reserve domains because I have like a blanket, uh, account at yep. DN Simple. So anytime I think I want to do, boom, just, just register that. Uh, ordain me as a bishop.com. Yes. That was a good one. <laughs> ordain me as a bishop.com. Just fill out a form, you know, print out a nice little, I never actually wrote the app, but. Nice. It's amazing. All those multifunction printer inkjets that still have fax machines. Some of them do, yeah. Just shocking. Well, it's actually time to give away a D experience subscription from Dev Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But before I tell you who won today, become a UI superhero with Dev Express UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next generation touch enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an office inspired application or a data centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero. Awesome, dude. So who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Ross Bradbury from Ypsilanti, Michigan. Nice. Congratulations, Ross. Ypsilanti. Ypsilanti. Yeah, you thought you had funny town names over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Little Ducklington is one of them. <laughs> oh, that's a, that's good, a good one. one. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of wacky names here, actually. But, uh, yeah, we have our share of wacky names. Uh, and Ross Bradbury just won the D-Experience subscription from DevExpress. That's a big pile of awesome from them. And if you don't know what we're talking about here, just go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. Every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, coming right up. Right up. Next we, week. Yeah, we like to give away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you got to register to win. You better hurry up, too. And uh, if, you, if you're one of those guys that join the fan club and then the next day get picked for the $5,000... Don't, don't tell us. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> don't tell don't anybody. Don't talk about don't it. Don't tell us. Don't yeah. tell. Just yeah. keep that little secret to yourself. <laughs> Trust me, you do not want don't, us to talk about that on the that. air. <laughs> that would be bad. <laughs> but, but Liam, we like to ask our guests: if you had five thousand dollars U.S. to spend on technology today, what would you buy? Uh, this is really tough. Uh, and I went a bit retro and modern. Love it. Great. Yeah. You see, remember I was. I was I would back reference here to the guy who I was teaching at the BBC what a mouse was. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and talking about that, that was because my next door neighbor had one of the first Apple Macs, 128K, Whoa. original Apple Macs. The, so, the 1984 edition. Yeah, 1984 Apple Mac imported into the country. They were hard to get hold of. Yeah. And uh, so I think what I'd go for is it's about $2,000 for a real mint, good condition, well, original wow. Apple Macintosh. Um, with the discs still, still yeah, three that's and a half inch floppy, three and a half inch floppy, and, it, and that's where I learned about mouse and pointers, right? Before Windows had even got there. Yeah, now we're near it. So, um, so I'd like that. Uh, then next machine is a British machine. I'd get okay. a second-hand old Acorn Archimedes, nice, which oh, nice. is the first desktop that ever had an ARM chip running in it. Oh, wow. So I cut my teeth writing six five zero two assembler. Great. Wow. On a BBC Micro, and then I wrote ARM assembly code in one of my internships as well. So <laughs> I powered an Archimedes in assembly language, which Neat. was a frightening job um, in the days when Turbo Pascal was in the roost because it had a UI <laughs> in DOS. Um, and then the next thing, which is the last retro thing I'll go for, is the message pad. Oh, the wow. Apple Newton, because that's the first smartphone type device with an arm chip so you want to get a little museum going yeah so that's a little museum and so that's my apple you know that's a bit of apple love yeah yeah if anyone knows me i have none (laughs) Uh, because i don't own any apple device whatsoever the original firmware in that 84 mac had a bug in it i remember when the very first one showed up in vancouver if you touched the mouse while i was reading the disc it would cancel the read (laughs) 
What? <laughs> yeah, it was a bug in the in the original That's insane. When we had to patch the OS from yeah. uh, from Apple to stop it from doing that, but those first little while, it's like you had to get the mouse carefully roosted in the right place, then cl- get your disc in, then click the button, and then it would read the disc. How does don't that get through? I mean, that's crazy. I don't know. When you, These things, things get through. No enough testing. Anyway. There you go. <laughs> All right. There's your there's your so that's my retro, and then the modern thing. The modern thing that that's really led to would be the Lenovo Yoga 3 Pro. The new one. The yeah. new one. They, all of those the machines are lovely. DPI. Yeah. If Microsoft can get their acting gear and do a DPI usable interface, it'd be lovely. Um, but that is a fantastic machine. Yeah, 8.1 updates pretty good. This, yeah. this machine I'm using is 3200 by 1800, yeah. and you do not want to look at it in native resolution. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that's the scaling is just getting there. Yeah. It's 3200, as you said. It's a slate. It's only 13.3 inches, yep. and it's powerful enough to run all the dev tools on it. Yeah. Not quite enough memory. It should have 16 gig, but you know, yeah, I'll give it. I'll live with eight. And I'll go for the top spec of that. And that's pretty much the 5,000. Yeah, but yeah, that's yeah. where it's come from. The Apple Mac coming from the Xerox Park yep. phase yeah, that's has right. come all the way to a lovely touch interface. And what do you yeah. think the Xerox Park guy who showed Bill Gates and Steve Jobs the <laughs> mouse was thinking when they just took it in? You think that they knew that? These guys were gonna just take it because they didn't have any patents on anything. Yeah. You know, no, that's that's not, not the way they thought. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think they cared as much. Yeah. I don't um, think it's important to them at all. And like, I think they were more altruistic. This. Yeah. And they wanted it just to be used. Right. Yeah. And well, that's what ensured it was used. Yeah. They got yeah. they got their result. Yeah. yeah. You got to look at things like um, one of the most unpaid because I don't like software patents particularly. Mm-hmm. Um, most developers don't mm-hmm. in the real world they mm-hmm. just hate despise the idea that you could patent software when ev- anyone could have an idea sure. to type um, one of the, mo- the patent free items in the world doesn't not, not, not loved in the west QR codes mm-hmm. yeah. is the biggest way in India and China for people to do things on their really? mobiles because the character the literacy rates and the character complications right mean that QR codes are massive. And the reason QR codes are massive is the company that invented them did not patent them and said, please have it. Please use it. Go off and use it. Very good. Uh, So we've gotten, have we gotten through the list of uh, software specific quality issues? And now we should talk about maybe uh, the business side. I think it's the business side. And the business side, I once did a talk saying um, how to get your rid of your project manager off your project <laughs> um which people are, and the idea is you be the project manager yeah, you right. take up some of the admin work if right. you actually do agendas yeah and minutes yeah and have project plans you won't get a project manager put on your project yeah. because you'll be doing the work that they can do and you probably have a better understanding of where it's going yeah. right but you won't be coding at that point yeah but if right. you're running your own business you've got to do that so i talk about meetings a meeting with no minutes no agenda it's just a yap. It didn't really happen because no one knows about it. No. So if you ever get a meeting, I think, without an agenda, you should uh-huh. just write one and send it in. Send <laughs> it to them and say, this is what we're going to talk about, I right. believe, and let them correct it. And the other one is you ask devs, how many people read the minutes? And they go, oh, they're a bit boring. You know, how many, how many actually challenge them? Right. right. Oh, hardly any. The yeah. hands really go down. Yeah. Um, you- so I, I, th- I think I've, I was doing, trying to do a new phrase. So Winston Churchill said, history is written by the victors. Whereas my phase is, victory is given to those who write the minutes. Yes. If you write the the minutes, if you write the minutes for a meeting, you basically said what was discussed, what was important, and you made sure the action points are in there with names Mm -hmm. and dates. And they might not include you doing what other people thought they may have thought you were going to do. Yeah, yeah. But it's important to do the minutes after a meeting. And that's a, that's a tough lesson to learn for most devs because they sure. don't, they hate that boring stuff. Yeah. yeah. But well, within an hour, everybody's forgotten the meeting. Yes. The minutes are the only proof that the meeting ever happened. Exactly. So I, I, it's those kind of stu- being studious. The other one is timesheets are also hated. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, if you run your own company and you're working for three or four clients simultaneously, you have to maintain timesheets. Yeah, sure. You have to know what you worked on because then you can actually prove. Uh, otherwise, your invoice is fantasy at the end of the month, yeah. right? Yeah. Generally, so all that boring bookkeeping is something you have to do. 
And the better you do it, the better the client likes you because you can actually say exactly what you worked on, when you worked on it, what you did. And then the invoice becomes much more a description of what was delivered. I use Trello a lot in yeah. my, uh, in my, uh, work. And of course, you know, an Excel spreadsheet for keeping track of hours and things. But do you use other tools that you like to? Yeah. Um, uh, Huddle, we've got Jira that handles that. I used to use Track. Because uh, I used to be an SVN user and you could get an SVN track package really nicely hosted. Right. And that just allowed me to keep track of everything, put milestones in. And the developers at track, because they were developers, refused to put hours or day estimates into the system. Right. Despite it being the top requested feature on all the forums Jeez. and said, you should never put that in because it's fantasy. Ah. Time doesn't really exist in computer software. Right. Um, so I used to use that, even though as a one-man band, it allowed me to keep track of projects. And then when you do that, you start breaking down tasks. It's what you're meant to do with story points and things like that, is you realize that when you're running your own software company, you have meetings, installation notes, post-installation mm -hmm. notes, actually installing the software, all the things, cutting branches, cutting releases. Right. You might even be required to escrow the code onto a CD to a lawyer. Sure. And all of that takes time. All of it's got to be accounted for. Yeah, and right. as soon as you start putting it into something like Trello, or Excel or anything, it really doesn't matter what you just put into something right. and you'll start Word seeing it. where the money leaks out that yeah. you don't think about because right. the code might only be about 60% of the cost. Yeah. yeah. Even if you're not billing for it all, keeping yeah. a good record for yourself. Yep. So at least you're, at least you're living in the real world, even yes. if your customer refuses to. Yeah. And they, when the NHS, the healthcare system in this country brought in pricing so that they, because they weren't used to it, so they said, how much does it cost to do a gallbladder? And one hospital would say, £20,000 to do a gallbladder. Right. And the other hospital said, oh, it costs us £16,000. And someone looked at it, and this hospital's just losing money because no one counted the anaesthetist in. Right. Ah. Or the nurses or the scrubs. Right. And they just didn't know what it cost it because they'd never had to cost it before. Right. So if you don't know how much something costs, how can you estimate it and charge for it? Yeah. So it's one of the things that the scrum guys do, velocities, working out how fast you can go, or how many right. features you can go. And that's where you bring in spikes. So actually, if you don't know the area of expertise, spike it quickly. Yeah. Uh, and get that done. Get on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. In the end, spikes are about mitigating risk. Yes. But don't we know how can we, what's the minimum amount of time we can take to pin it down? Yeah. And then you can move on to the next thing. Uh, sales. Yeah. How do you keep your pipeline full? That's tough. That was really tough. I worked with a lot of broadcast TV companies. Mm -hmm. The QVC deal was the sweetest one I ever did. Mm -hmm. It ran in pilot for eight years. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously? Uh, you know why it ran in pilot and never got a final license fee? Because they would have had to have asked their IT department to install their server. <laughs> and it was easier to pay an outside company to have their own Little shuttle mini PC running Windows Server, then put a proper server in the rack. Nice. Wow. It's unbelievable. Yep. So that was, um, let's think about it. Eight thousand, uh, about $10,000 a year. That nice. system raised for eight, eight years. So that kept the company bubbling over nicely. But that took two and a half years lead time from the initial discussions with QVC for doing SMS to screen. I had to continually talk to them over months and months before and bill yes. one. Yeah, and I think you have to, with all sales, there will, most sales will take months, not weeks. Right. Yeah. So right. Your lead, you have to have a sales pipeline. You have to think of customers who will want work and yeah. renew. But it's also a question of what's the minimum value from a customer. If it's going to take you three months to sell them, it better not be a one-month gig. No. And mm. that's the other one you've got to do. So you've got to be careful. The cello as an example, was a bit of a lost leader, but then got me in to do a major piece of work, right. Right. which you can never predict exactly how that's going to work out. Right. So you can do it once with a company, but if you keep going back and getting burnt, you should leave them alone. Sure. Because that's tough work. I also found, you know, that my best sales resource were receptionists. Like, I always took good care of the person at the front door. Just give them the time of day and, and be kind to them because they're generally abused. Yeah, but they know the, everything. They're the user interface to the <laughs> to company. the company, yeah. and they move. Yes, and after you've had some success with a business, and then that receptionist goes somewhere else, they are always know the gestalt of the business. They know they're having a problem. It's like yeah. I know somebody, and whenever I got a referral like that, that was worth dinner for two. You and your husband need to go out for dinner on me. Yeah, you know, 
I mean, let's, we won't call it a bribe because it wasn't tit for tat. She'd already called me, got me called in, and the work was going on. And I'm like, thank you very yeah. much. Like, yeah. being appreciative of those you. people. So the sales leads I had were in TV, and then the other one was Linden.net user group. Sure. So going to user groups introduced you to people who were going, I've got loads of work, and I need someone right. to help me with it. Nice. And that's where you could get in. And you got in, and if you proved you were good, you showed you were competent and reliable. Mm-hmm. That's when the work started increasing from that as well. And it's trying to keep that portfolio of clients where they're not all in one industry. So the NHS balanced out the broadcast TV companies, yeah. a regular income from that one on monthly fees from QVC, helps offset the fact that Hattrick only replaced ticketing about every four years. Yeah. And the other thing to identify is you don't have a God-given right to write software for a company. Right. They need to have a reason to have that software, and right. you need to make sure they understand how they'll benefit from mm-hmm. it. Right, so right. Hattrick doing ticketing allowed them to do e-ticketing, Within 18 months, they paid the entire £10,000 back sure. because they don't need to print tickets. They don't need to mail them. They don't need to have someone do it. Yeah. And all of that is worth £10,000 over 18 months. So their payback is quick. But you're also talking about you need to start in order to have a diversity of income like that, a few different customers. So you're not all, you're not just a contracting firm for one person. You need a certain number of people too. Like the scale of your business is going to be a certain size. You can only multitask so far. You only do so much work. How do you keep it a company of one when you grow? I kind of limited it. I get, I, at one point ran a company called original thinking group. Right. And we had two, two and a half employees. And so we had that. And that was scary because mm-hmm. suddenly you realize you're responsible for someone having a house sure. right. and paying the bill. Yeah. You know, and if you own a company, you're the last one who should get paid. You were right. the last one who yeah. will get paid. And you you're are. the one ca- holding the bag when things yes. go wrong, too. That's right. Um, so I think I ducked out that responsibility by becoming a solo consultant. Right. And I would have liked that SMS to screen service. I would have liked to be more productized. Mm-hmm. But the difficulty is to, for that kind of service, is convincing people to use it. And right. a lot of people just wanted it as a money-making opportunity mm-hmm. to charge people 50 cents to send in a text. Sure. And they thought they could make money out of it. Uh, the problem is, if you have to have someone read a text so it, doesn't, it isn't rude, then it costs more than the amount you will ever get off test messages. Uh, so the yeah, reason right. you have it is customer stickiness, satisfaction, yeah. customer support, and free editorial content. That's sure. why QVC had it. They didn't have it to make money. They did it to keep customers. Because yeah, they make money happy. out of the people buying product. Right. And they're going to buy more product yeah. if they have that connection. And they're a retail company who happened to broadcast TV. Right. Unlike other companies I worked for were television companies. And that's what they did. Right. Even though they have studios and they have cameras and they do graphics. They are a retailer. Right. They were in the top 10 retailers online in the UK. In America, they, QVC is still big in America. Massive. Yeah. yeah shopping channel. Yeah. And the peak time in the UK is after midnight. Yeah. When they've come back from the pub. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're just <laughs> the sales full of bad rolling. decision making. But you know, you're talking about a really important part of this, which yeah. is if you really want to be successful with a customer, you need to understand that customer's business. Yes. You know, you're in business, they're in business. Where's the mutual value there? Mm. The shocking bit was to pitch that SMS. I was up against Yahoo UK and a few other guys right. who did moderation systems and they were professionals there and they had lots of people. And it was just me. I was going to write it. When I pitched, I had three weeks to write it and I had a rough as hell web interface to do it. I'd just hacked to pieces in, a, in web forms. Right. Ah. And, um, but out of the four people who pitched for it, four companies who pitched for it, I was the only one who watched QVC right. oh, before wow. the pitch. I was yeah. the only one who talked know about their customer. deal of the day, which was a stand-up vacuum cleaner. Sure. And all the others didn't bother. They said, our product's great. Look how shiny our product is. Look oh at the customers God. who use our product. Right. And they didn't say, and it'll work with you because. Right. Yes. Yeah. And that's apparently why I got the gig. And I you knew to them, how their business actually yeah, worked. I and bothered to look at their business, try to tailor the product such to a simple the business. Thing. And you would think that it would be obvious to watch a TV channel before right. you pitch to a TV company. Yeah. yeah, you don't say, you could use it in whatever. The yeah, way what you is it you people it. do? Whatever the we can do that. You do, guys. Yeah, we do that. Yeah, it's going to work just fine. <laughs> it's kind of bizarre that, it, that people don't do that. Yeah. Fine, but though. they don't. Yeah, and is. that's one of the things. You should understand, you're almost interviewing them. Yeah, sure. Treat it like if you had a, a candidate come for an interview as a developer, you'd research their background, right. work sure. out. You should do. I, I hope and you also do. expect them to research you. <laughs> yeah, 
You know, that's yeah. what responsible behavior actually looks like. So would you advise then if somebody is a company of one, in other words, a consultant, try to stay one as long as possible? I mean, obviously it worked out for you. You know I, what? Per- I personally love being a company of one. Yeah, I, I like it because I can flounce off to the pub every now and then yeah, right? on yeah, a day yeah. that I, but I don't It also to. gets back to this firing a bad customer. When yeah. it's, it's you choosing not to take their money, yeah. not the other people you've got around yeah. you. Right. You know, when I, I was a lot more comfortable going, you know, I can't play ball with you people anymore. Yeah. You yeah. know, I'm, that's not going to take your calls. And the other thing you have, which may be an arrogant thought, but I need a programmer who's as good as me. Yeah. Right. And the worry you have, every development manager is, They've got to be as good as me. Yeah. Because I'm basically going, I would have done this in this amount of time. Right. You must be able to do that because I'm going to base decisions on this. Yeah, and that's sure. a worrying thing to have to put your faith yeah, in. It sure is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just about out of time. Are there any yeah. other resources that you want to point us to? Or? Um, the one that everyone should read anyway is the Mythical Man Month. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And I, how many people, and people listening to this, you must have been told, if we hire more developers, can we do it faster? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you go, here's the mythical man month, and here's the woman who's pregnant, and it takes them nine months to have a baby. Yeah. If we have two mums, it doesn't take four and a half months. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And throwing <laughs> bodies at a problem does not really work. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, it decelerates things. It does. It actually can hit your productivity massively. Sure. Because you have to teach people how the system works. Right coax them through it, manage the problem. It's actually a nightmare. So the Mythical Man Month is always a good one to read. And then I always like Alan Cooper's The Inmates. The Inmates are running in the the Asylum. Great book. (laughs) Yeah. And obviously, and obviously, I have a soft spot for Alan Cooper because I programmed in VB1. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thunderfor. And it was Cooper Software on the About Box. Yeah, he was right. one of the first, yeah. in the first 20 shows yep. of .NET Rocks, we interviewed him, and he yeah. was great. Bye. Well, Liam Wesley, thank you so much for joining us. It's been great talking to you. I hope it's been interesting. Oh, it's been more than interesting. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. All right. Fun. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a